Hi, I'm Erin Hartz. Welcome to Grace Plus Boundaries, a weekly memoir in a podcast. I've realized through the past decade of my recovery that I learn the most about emotional maturity through listening to the triumphant stories of others. Are you yearning to unpack the effects of intergenerational trauma in your life? Do you want to stay true to your feelings, yet also learn how to accommodate the sensibilities of your loved ones? I'm dedicated to cracking the code of combining boundary setting with grace towards one another. Educate, evaluate, and evolve. Let's do this together. summertime over here. This is Erin Hart and today I'm talking about the covert dysfunctional family. So I really wanted to bring up this topic because this idea of how I was in a dysfunctional family or am in a dysfunctional family and yet for most of my life I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting to me intellectually. It caused a lot of need for me to read a lot of books and learn about it and make a lot of changes. But it's also just like a very puzzling and interesting and intricate idea that we can grow up in a family and not realize that things are wonky until way later. I've heard a lot of people that grew up in poverty, sometimes they'll say stuff like, I didn't realize we were poor until, you know, my teen years or something when I went over somebody else's house and saw how their family lived. Or, And it's, it's very similar to that, I think, when we grow up in dysfunctional families. And it's even more so if we grow up in a dysfunctional family that's very covert dysfunctional. So today that's what I want to talk about because I think that This idea of the covert dysfunctional family is something it took me a long time to understand and a lot of reading to understand. And so I really wanted to share that with you all. If you don't already know the ins and outs of this, I mean, not that I'm an expert, but if you don't already know a lot about it, I'd love to shed some light on it because I truly believe that if we are aware of our patterns then we are much more likely to work on them and change so that we can hopefully be cycle breakers. And I mean, I want to be a cycle breaker. I'm kind of sick of that term. I feel like it's been thrown around too much, but I truly feel like I'm trying to be a cycle cycle breaker. And I put a lot of time and effort into being a cycle breaker. And I know that that means It's not going to change with this generation, though. I think I've heard it takes about three generations for things to truly change. But I can at least start the process in motion of hopefully showing my son how to be a little healthier and I get healthier. And then when one person in the family gets healthier, it does spark some recovery um, for the other people in the family. And we can't count on that, but... There is a ripple effect of one person becoming healthy, and so that is why I'm sharing this today, because it'll give people awareness, hopefully, and um, I truly think that information is powerful, so that's why I'm sharing it. Okay, so my family growing up, you know, we seemed so 
normal. And in a lot of ways, we were, you know, we were very typical. We were a typical suburban family with the house and the two cars and the pets and going on summer vacations. And, you know, we even had the matching shirts, pictures with matching shirts to prove it. And so a lot of those things were good. And that was better than my parents had it in their childhood. So I'm not discounting that in any way. But those types of material things don't show that a family is functional. I think that's really my point, is those things look good, but they hide these quiet things that are happening behind them. So I look back at my family, and we didn't have physical poverty, but I look back now and see some emotional poverty Um, at least certainly for myself, and I'm sure for other people too. But it was very hidden because all those physical things were intact. So the emotional silent things was not something people were aware of back then in general, and I certainly wasn't aware of it. But I always had a feeling, probably since I was a teenager, that definitely like around the time I was like 18 or 19, I really had this into intuitive feeling in me that like something wasn't right and I didn't know what that could be since I always my parents would always say what a perfect family we were and you know and so I felt wrong in myself that I thought there was something wrong with the way my mom treated me or the way things happened and now I see that there was a lot wrong with it my intuition was was dead on but I didn't have the tools or know the questions to ask or anything like that. And at that point, I had no idea why I would go to therapy. There wasn't like one pressing issue. There was a lot of small things for me. I was going to say maybe not small, but they th- they seemed to be things that were not immediate. They didn't have a sense of immediacy. So that's why I never went to therapy until after or until I was married and realized that I needed to to uh, make a change and eventually got divorced. That's when therapy really started happening for me. Little things that in my life show dysfunction were that when I was 13, I was anorexic for at least a year there where I didn't barely eat anything. I would eat less than 500 calories a day probably, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, And I survived off of Jolly Ranchers pretty much and tried to eat as little as possible. And then I started over-exercising. So I would exercise a ton, like I'd hide it too, so that my parents didn't know I was doing it. Um, So those kind of things were happening. But I eventually got into cross-country running and sports because I wanted to lose weight. But then I actually really liked it. And I got, I don't know, a little healthier where I didn't have the anorexia as much then but I still had a little bit of the working out extra and that kind of thing and then other patterns emerged as I went into high school like where I went out with boyfriends who were not at my level or abusive that's when I first went out with my my first uh, I'd say emotionally abusive boyfriend if I look back there I can kind of see signs where I wasn't quite performing in the way that a functional child would. I had some things going on, um, but those things were hidden. I never really told my parents about it. Um, Once in a while, my mom would comment on me not eating, 
But in general, I just got a bunch of positive feedback from getting skinny. You know, like my parents' friends would tell me how great I looked and I lost my baby fat and I was getting a ton of positive reinforcement for being thin and not eating. And uh, that's dysfunctional too, in a way, you know, I mean, I'm sure they meant well, but, um, you know, now I, nowadays I really try never to comment on people's weight at all. Like I've learned that lesson. Thank you to my sister for telling me that one a long time ago. And she was dead right. Like, don't comment on people's weight. Like she said this 20 years ago to me and I remembered it, you know, and back then I didn't get it, but now I 100% do. So what are some other signs that we might be in a covert dysfunctional family? I just shared with you some of the things that happened to me as a child that showed me that I wasn't quite healthy. But when I left my marriage and was single parenting and went into therapy and I went to some recovery programs, I ended up reading a lot of literature about children that are in dysfunctional or alcoholic homes. And my grandparents were alcoholics, but my parents don't have a problem with alcohol. And as I'm saying again, they seem like they're pretty normal people. You know, there was nothing noticeably weird about them where people would be like, that's dysfunctional. I mean, maybe there was, and I just wasn't aware of it. But, um, like, I guess there are some things if you guys, if you really knew us, you know, maybe there'd be something people would say. But in general, like, we walked through teacher conferences and school events and sporting events with not many things happening that were out of the ordinary. So I came across this list of dysfunctional things that you might find in a family that point to signs of larger family dysfunction. Because as my grandparents were alcoholics, that was the way that their dysfunction expressed itself. And then my parents, that's the next generation, they could possibly be codependent, um, or there's really an array of things that could happen. And that's the list I want to share with you today, because when I read this, it blew my mind. I could not believe that all these things pointed to dysfunction, but it just resonated so deeply and true for me. And so that's why I really wanted to share it. So this comes from some reading from the program of the 12-step program of adult children of alcoholics and otherwise dysfunctional families. So it comes from a workbook and these are some signs. So they have you like make a family diagram and you can think of all your relatives and you can put their names by any of these traits to see if you can identify any dysfunction. And it's more just, for me, it just helped me come out of denial to the fact that there were some behaviors and patterns that I hope to change um, as much as I can in this generation. It's not to blame anyone or to shame anyone. It's just to notice it and and try to educate ourselves and get help if these things are showing up again or as we deal with these people, maybe how to put boundaries around ourselves so that we can shield ourselves from this behavior that's dysfunctional. Okay, so this is kind of a long list, but I am going to read the whole thing because I really love it. So here's the list of um, relatives can have one or more of the following labels. 
Okay, so do you have relatives who are alcoholics or addicts? Obviously, right? That's something. So if you do have relatives that are alcoholics and addicts, that probably means that there's family dysfunction. And what is, why does that matter? Well, it matters because it's like we want to other people for being dysfunctional, but it's actually the whole family system that is. So sadly, if there's a little bit here, there's a little bit there. It's just expressing itself in a different way. And certainly some people are a little healthier than others just because of their circumstances. But that doesn't mean that we're out of the clear. Like, I think that's the point of my podcast today, too, is that I have to uncover these covert parts of myself that I'm hiding that are dysfunctional. And I want to try to work on them um, and ask my higher power to help me with them, really, because I know I can't do it alone. Okay, so that's a given. We know alcoholics and addicts, that's obviously dysfunctional. The next one, used alcohol or drugs. Okay, not everybody does that. That could be a sign. Um, Someone in your family could be an enabler. Maybe nowadays we'd call that a codependent. Someone that's, you know, providing the alcohol for the person that's drinking or making drinks for them. Um, A person could be extremely religious. A person work a lot, like a workaholic. A person is undependable, doesn't follow through with things. A family member could have heavy debt, like they're always borrowing money, or they're a big spender that has flashy clothes and stuff like that. A person could be worried a lot, like a neurotic person. A person could be a perfectionist, like a high-strung person that's always trying to compete and get everything right. Someone might be harsh, always critical, maybe even verbally abusive. Yeah, I mean, so many of these things I have a lot of people written here. I mean, these all resonate with my family. Um, Someone might be chronically ill or a hypochondriac. Someone could be a pill popper, always taking something. Somebody could be obese. Somebody might be emotionally ill where they actually um, have some kind of diagnosis. Maybe a person always has their face in a mirror, like thought they were better than others, like a snob. Okay, uh, so, uh, somebody could be a ladies' man, a player, skirt chaser. It's kind of old, <laughs> old words there. Um, someone could be sexually aggressive or not safe. Someone might be violent. Did they slap others? Did they pinch people? Did they threaten them? Did they glorify fighting? That one really stuck out to me because there's some people I know um, within you know the family that really glorify fighting and are really kind of, I mean, my son even sometimes kind of, I'd say he kind of glorifies fighting. And I know that's part of our society a little bit where kids think like fighting is cool. Um, but at some extent, it's it's really unhealthy. And uh, that one spoke to me a lot. I hadn't heard that one before this list. Um, someone could be, someone could have grabbed you or wrestled you inappropriately without thinking about your boundaries. Um, someone could be really argument argumentative. Maybe they don't keep quiet, keeps pushing arguments on the family, that kind of thing. Someone might be a people pleaser. That's definitely me. Um, someone could be a martyr. And then I have a couple more here. A loner, like a hermit probably. And then I added onto the list a hoarder. Um, I'm sure this list could go on and on and on. But I know that in... 
I do know some people that are hoarders, and it certainly points to some kind of problems or dysfunction in the family. So that was the list that I had read about five years ago that really spoke to me, and it helps me to just notice things on a new level, and it helps me clarify my values. So if I see, you know, let's say I meet with a friend and I we go over to their house and the friend has some kids that are, I don't know, maybe the one brother punches the other brother or something. And the friend is just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. They're just always fighting, um, you know, blah, blah, And she doesn't do anything to stop the kids from fighting. So for me, that would be a red flag. And I probably wouldn't hang out with that person again. Um, I've been around something that happened like that and it really shocked me. And I know that brothers fight, like I get that, um, but I think there's an amount of it that is typical and we need to help our, our kids learn how to get along or walk away from each other for a while. And then there's a part of it that's too much and it means that we didn't properly help our children set boundaries. I just notice those kind of things now and I am so imperfect as a mom and I definitely don't know everything about raising kids and raising other people's kids and since I'm a single um, I only have a ch one child you know like the sibling rivalry stuff I don't know as much about but I do know when I feel like something is unsafe and that it's not safe for a child to be in that environment and my intuition is like that's not okay you know, and we can say that's not okay in our family. We don't hit our brothers. So what do you think about that? Did you uncover any covert dysfunction in your family by hearing that list? I'd love to hear about it. You can always find me on Instagram at iheartserin. Bye-bye. You deserve a big high five and a smile in the mirror for showing up for yourself today. Thank you for your dedication to introspection and self-awareness because our personal evolution is what will make this world a better place. If you enjoyed the episode, please give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. And let me know if you want to be a guest to share how you are navigating intergenerational trauma in your life. You're welcome to join my free monthly goal-setting workshop on the first Wednesday of every month. Just DM me at iHeartsAaron.com.